Hello, hello, and thank you for tuning in to the Character Arc Podcast. My name is Ted Hong. And I'm Richard Bertelson. In this hour, we talk about a movie we just watched. We'll provide our own versions of the synopsis, have an open discussion about the things we liked, what we didn't like, uh, what we would change, and end with a favorite scene as a final thought. Today's episode, we will be talking about Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. I'm Rick Dalton. It's my pleasure, Mr. Schwartz. Call me Marvin. Put it there. That's your son? No, it's my stunt double, Cliff Booth. Alrighty, so we'll go ahead and get started with the synopsis. Would you like to go first, Mr. Bertelson? Sure. Uh, my synopsis for Once Upon a Time in Hollywood is two best buds uh, murder a bunch of hippies. Oh, damn it. That's so much better than mine. Well, I went with uh, two friends in the movie industry support each other through thick and thin in life and near life experiences. Oh, it was near just, life experience. Yeah, <laughs> Tyler Durden. <laughs> he was in the movie. Yeah, uh, so uh, I guess we'll go off on things that we liked. You know, it's very Tarantino. It's a very stylistic approach to things. And it's, it's. I mean, there are some elongated scenes, but they were still very, they were pleasant to watch. It was very... Absolutely. Yeah. Um, Tarantino is a very, very talented filmmaker. Everything on screen is beautiful. Um, it is... It's not beautiful in like a special effectsy kind of way. It's just he knows how to put things on camera. Like right. it's just it is all so very. It feels very calculated, but in a way that that's not distracting. It, it's very it's, it evokes something in you. Um, I was gonna say it just seems like very maybe mundane isn't the correct word, but it's like very everyday life kind of stuff. And but yet it's very compelling to watch, despite nothing really okay for this particular movie. Nothing particularly happening oh that might be too strong to say no but his style like even just the way this kicks off he has to introduce a very large cast of characters and he does it very effectively by with imagery which is what you exactly should do with film um i don't remember how long but there's like a montage essentially yeah but it's way more compelling than most montages in that it hits almost all of the major characters in their day before the first scene kicks up you get an idea of who sharon tate is you get an idea of who um dicaprio's character Rick Dalton. Rick Dalton, and you get an idea of who Cliff, uh, who's Brad Pitt's character. You get an idea of who these people are and who they are in relation to each other. It's just, it's them getting ready for the day. It's them traveling from place to place. It's it's mundane stuff. Everything it's showing you is kind of important. It, it, it's informing right. you of the characters. Mm-hmm. His cinematography helps. His It feels seamless. It doesn't, it's nothing drawing. Like, it keeps pace from one scene to the next, mm-hmm. right? Even though it, it draws, switches scenes. It draws parallels between all of them, mainly in the, the composition of the shots. Um, right. There's a lot of things, I think, in this time where a lot of things are kind of centered and close because I think that's intentional in the idea that he's giving you details about them. He's not just showing you people irrelevant yeah Yeah. he's very specifically like here's a shot of a liquor glass filling up here's a shot of like really close behind someone's head driving here's someone putting a dog inside a little like actress dog handbag um it's it's (laughs) making you it's making you make assumptions about these characters before you've even met them it looks the same as most montages you see in the movie or you could mistake it for them but it is done better than that it is giving you more meaningful information in a more artistic way and the whole movie is definitely Tarantino's love letter for that era and also with some of the subject matter. It takes place in 1969 Hollywood, by the way, and the characters and the designs of the locations and the way it's shot very much, it breathes that era. I was going to say, that made it more appealing to kind of watch. I keep wanting to say like a slice of life kind of production. I sat next to a couple and they were they were in an older 
couple, and clearly they came to see this movie because of that era. But they had no idea what they were getting into, it seemed. because uh, Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and even when they show... So uh, Rick Dalton is an actor who's in the later stages of his career. He's not the, right. he's not the hot new shit anymore. He's played by Leonardo DiCaprio extremely well. Um, Leonardo DiCaprio is very... Uh, charismatic's not really the word, but he's, uh, he has... Passion. <laughs> well, he, he feels like a, he feels real. He feels like someone who you wouldn't. Yeah, like on the cusp of being a has been. One of the great things about this movie is none of the characters are really two dimensional. Um, you learn some could argue classic Tarantino. Yeah, yeah, like you learn lots of different facets. They act different ways in different places, but never inconsistent to their character, though. Right. Because humans act differently when they're with other people. And but the trouble with that in film sometimes is that you can make them seem like one character seem like two different people, but these characters no it it works very well and this that's through a combination of Tarantino's ability to write naturalistic dialogue even if it's a little stylized sometimes it's oh, still yeah. it still has the casual nature of a conversation that drifts from place to place before it hits its point that makes it also feel real and that's a dangerous thing that lots of screenwriters try to copy they try to and emulate they copy yeah. badly. Mm-hmm in a way that's more boring than when Tarantino does it. Right. Because you can run the risk of being aimless. And this, Tarantino rarely is that. He usually has some reason why the characters go off on a tangent, and it comes back around or it's referenced, a callback later. Right. Were there any like particular little things that you liked? I'm going to start off by saying uh, Margot Robbie. When I saw her on screen, just... <laughs> She's great. Amazing. She's just, great in general. Um, in general. I just, I've fallen in love. Did you see her in that movie... The one where she played the ice skater. Oh, the Tanya Harding no. story. Did you see, did you see I, I, I want, Tanya? No, I want to see she that. She is fucking phenomenal is in she? I Tanya. It is, a, it, is a, it is a hilarious movie. It's kind of a sad movie, but it's also hilarious. And she gives the one of the best performances. Oh, damn. Of like see, I definitely missed that. I, um, yeah, I would love to. And even in this, where her character is not actually very important to the story, she still breathes. Like, you, you still know Such quite a bit character. about her. She's obviously this actress yeah. who's not wildly popular at this time. But... Getting there, maybe coming up and coming. You just see how enthralled she is with Hollywood and yeah. with the people she meets, and even just seeing herself on screen. On screen, when she went to the theater to watch herself, just her little her mannerisms were just—it's very endearing. So endearing because it's not. You could again, you could a less talented writer and actress could play that in a way that you kind of don't like her because she she seems in self-involved, but she's not actually. What you get is this person who just very sweetly is proud of what they've done proud. and hope that other people just, enjoy it too. But everyone's performance was just great. I mean, yeah. you got you got a lot of heavy hitters. A lot of a lot of big names kind of in the background too, which I was surprised cuz I feel like Tarantino doesn't usually do that. Although I guess more recently he kind of has as he's gotten the clout he's gotten. I mean, he's, he was always a cult favorite, but in the his last say four or five movies it, it's gone beyond cult status like yeah. he he makes he kind of makes blockbusters. He just makes them differently than everyone else, which yeah. is good for him for being able to do that. Uh, what I liked uh, a lot was the when we saw Rick Dalton's performances and things, uh, whether whether he was spliced into actual existing footage or it was um, a <laughs> fictional show. Uh, you know, one thing that Tarantino is very good at is emulating different film styles. And whenever we see him, what was the name of the show he was in? Bounty Law. I mean, the show was it was shot perfectly and acted perfectly for that kind of show from nineteen right. from the nineteen fifties, I guess, or the early sixties. It was kind of clunkily shot. The acting yeah. was a little cheesy, a little awkward, yeah. <laughs> and it felt it felt right. It felt at times over the yeah yeah, yeah. over the top. Um, absolutely, I personally liked when I don't know. It's always those quiet moments when like 
it's a scene where no one else is around and you kind of see how they are. It's when uh, Rick Dalton goes back to his trailer and like loses his shit. <laughs> um, <laughs> and he's just beating himself up. I, I think he comes off as a character with a little bit of a speech impediment because a lot of t- it might just be him being nervous. I think it's his alcohol abuse. No, oh, you think? I think so. Hmm. Um, I, th- I mean, it could be nerves, but I guess that could also be tied to his alcohol abuse. <laughs> Well, yeah, because during that scene, he's like, oh, I'm giving up alcohol. I think and he's... then, like, two <laughs> jump cuts later, he's like, oh. <laughs> he reaches for his, uh, his flask. <laughs> um, I think that's the great thing about uh, DiCaprio's performance in this is that he plays this, like, sort of cowboy hero on, the, on his fictional screen in exactly the way you'd expect him to do it or the way that it would be considered a good performance at the time. Later, he, he acts sort of at a better quality, and he performs that scene really well. Um, but then almost immediately after he leaves that, like, that all comes crashing down where he's like, no, I'm just, like, he, what he said was, like, yeah. what he hinted I'm, at was, like, I'm, I'm, a just, I'm washed up, yeah. yeah. And he talks to his friend, Brad Pitt's character, like a casual friend. Like, he gives a very, he takes you through all the things this character's struggling with, almost in the way he changes his performance. Because you know... The Rick Dalton is faking a certain degree of confidence and happiness through half oh, of his life. Yeah. And he's a fucking wreck. Which I think, you life. know, it's uh, everyone's just kind of trying to stay relevant. We're faking confidence right now. Oh, absolutely. God. I'm <laughs> trying so hard. Other little aspects that I really liked. Every scene where there is driving, all the shots are following the car. Everything else in the background is just like you'll see a car pass by, and it's just it keeps with the action instead of like having a shot watching the car go from one end of the screen to the other. Uh, no, we just follow it, and I don't know, it there's a nice little rhythm to it. Yeah, it's all from the shot of the driver or just right outside the driver if they're interacting because there was the <laughs> the one character named Pussy. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> Because um, we all love pussy, right? Uh, what a line. That's a line from the movie, <laughs> yeah, by the way. Sorry, yeah, sorry, yeah. Ted did just go off on a tangent I did, yeah. on the podcast. <laughs> ah, pussy. Um, no. <laughs> I just really like Brad Pitt's line right after that comment. Yeah, yeah we do. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, I really liked that shot. Because actually, I remember watching the behind the scenes for Death Proof, and he was talking about how it keeps the momentum going. Because when you, you're following a car chase... You know, if you have a stationary shot instead of a dynamic shot, it really kind of not warps, but it 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 kind of it's a little bit different. So keeping does. in pace, but it wasn't. I mean, obviously there were no car chases in this. No, no, no. It was yeah, just, you're describing like either the camera is following behind the car, but the camera is moving with the car the entire time. But for oh, usually usually kind of overhead too. It's not like a standard like just tracking behind or it's like directly from the side and the car is centered but the camera again is following you the car the followed. whole time yes exactly so the background and the foreground everything is just moving sweeping by you yeah uh i think that also why it works so well for this movie is because of the cars we're featuring we're featuring a lot of cars from the 50s and 60s yes. um lots of classics right and another it kind reason of, go, sorry go ahead it just it just it showcases sort of the the vintage beauty of those cars yeah. and the way that culture would focus on them a lot. It reminds me of a movie sort of like American Graffiti or something that is centered on car culture mm-hmm. um, and close to Maiden actually that time. I guess if you were to put it in nowadays, it almost seems like, well, what are we watching? Or adding the dynamic nature to the scene and the momentum of the scene would work in any era. I just think it's especially 
poignant because of the era and because of the cars. Yeah, oh, absolutely. But it would work. That 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 kinetic nature of it would work in any era for sure. Yeah. Are there any other points that you uh, you really liked? Um, I think that uh, the movie does a really great job. If we focus over to Cliff, Brad Pitt's character, the movie does a really good job of setting up who Cliff is in a lot of little details in his relationship with his dog, which is both very sweet and also, I mean, his life is kind of not that impressive. So he's a little bit of like a a redneck, sort of. Um, a Hollywood he's, redneck, if that exists. seems like the, He's just a little... The quiet he's simple. wanderer. Yeah. Kind of like the uh, like a samurai kind of but wandering samurai. Some of the things that it shows you, like his relationship with his dog, not only makes you like him as a character, which is a cheat in movies, but also the, the control he has over his dog. And also, there's a scene that's kind of entertaining where he fights Bruce Lee, which is a weird scene that seems kind of out of place, but is, is entertaining. But these are things that are all very important to Brad Pitt later yeah, on they, in the movie. Um, they reveal his... Aptitude. He is a very can we jump to that scene. Can can we just? We can. He's a very skilled man, who has a lot of. He has a very particular skill set, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> <laughs> and which is, is even more so because he was tripping. It doesn't. Yeah, it doesn't seem like it's necessary for this movie as you learn it. But at the end, the group from the Manson Ranch come yeah. in to kill Sharon Tate, and this is Tarantino, so we get an alternate history version of it where right. instead they. Attack the neighbor's house, which is where uh, Leonardo Rick DiCaprio's Dalton. character yeah. lives, and who has a house guest at this time, Cliff or Brad Pitt's character. Yeah. And a wife that comes out of nowhere at the end of the movie. Yeah. Completely. And okay, so, if we're going to talk about irrelevant, she kind of was irrelevant. She was definitely irrelevant. What was her significance in that? She was introduced she, by a voiceover, and then she was there for to be another yeah, person to be attacked Yeah, screen time total of like a minute and yeah. a half, probably. But anyway, they, they essentially own the shit out of these uh, yeah. <laughs> home invaders. And and pretty, it was gratifying. I mean, for me, I mean. Very for, violently. <laughs> it was, <laughs> yeah. But see, this is where I think, sorry to kind of chime in real quick. He, I feel like this is definitely, it's him fulfilling his own wish where it's like, you know, if, you know, it's almost that thing where as a writer, you're not supposed to just do this right. where you're like, oh, I wish this would happen. So I'm going to write it this way. No, it has to like fit within the story somehow. Right. Mm-hmm. And just the way this movie flows into that last part, it definitely felt like that. It, it doesn't flow it was, into it at all. Exactly. Um, the Yeah, the scene is entertaining and it's impressive. It's cool because you do realize at that moment, because a lesser screenwriter would have just made him really good at killing these motherfuckers. But what we actually see is we're like, no, he could definitely do this because we've seen his abilities before. And they give you a little bit of question on whether it'll work out that way to add tension because he is tripping balls on and some acid. Classic Tarantino. <laughs> but- see, see, okay, so when we uh, we kind of talked about this briefly, uh, Richard and I. Now, during that scene, I was actually kind of concerned Whereas Richard was just like, he knew it would be fine. For me, I thought, because there's, it's always something to subvert that expectation where it's like, sure, he's playing it off. It's just like he kind of like disarms you a little bit while the tension grows. And it gets to a certain point where it starts to kind of slow down and where, you know, the gun is still trained right on his face. And I thought like one false step, it was just like, because I wouldn't put it past Tarantino to where like he builds up this character to where they're capable of doing all this. And he's kind of already showcased that, but then also having it be for naught. I don't know if that 
if if it strikes that makes, you the same that way. makes logical sense to me just my experience in the movie however was that once i saw that the murders weren't going to go down in the way they did in actual history right i just knew it was just going to be a slaughter just because of other tarantino movies where tarantino heroes win in spectacular fashion because you're talking about the coen brothers the coen brothers have a totally different uh, yeah. approach to movie making yeah, yeah, yeah the coen brothers are all about random bullshit and life sucks <laughs> i mean that's a really reductive thing they're incredibly incredibly talented filmmakers who make amazing movies but their sort of their driving force a lot of times is that shit isn't fair whereas tarantino's heroes usually kick serious fucking ass at the end of their movie they do at emerge. the end of his movies um Victorious. yeah kill bill and glorious yeah, bastards yeah. Mm-hmm. and uh django unchained and i don't know christoph waltz died i was i mean yeah django but it was his movie you know but still christoph but waltz. jamie fox destroyed a lot of people yeah. <laughs> pretty comically too so i just knew that that's what was going to happen like so i i felt no real tension in that scene and that's not necessarily fair that's me making an assumption based on what I know of Tarantino in the past. But, but I would have still been into it if the stakes were higher earlier in the movie or if we got to that scene in a more natural way because what actually happens is we watch about two solid hours of a movie of a, of a movie about best friends. Best friends that have a very sweet and endearing relationship. One of them is a struggling actor. They have this sort of in, uh, codependent relationship in a weird way. Like Leonardo DiCaprio, this might be his only friend, actually. Uh, <laughs> it seems like it. And where... It's yeah, a, he's Cliff a really is really friend. just a quiet friend who's yeah. always just always supportive and, uh, and helps in all yeah. these millions of little ways. And there was a part where they were in uh, where it was a uh, Rick Dalton was in the trailer and Cliff Booth is his last name, mm-hmm. um, Brad Pitt's character. He was sat outside on the golf cart and the was it the producer who is um he, I think it was the stunt coordinator. Or something oh, he was the stunt the coordinator. Well, Rick Dalton is trying to get Cliff the job, but at that time it almost seems because of the way it was uh, preceded. Rick said he didn't want to even talk with the stunt coordinator about trying to get the job for for Cliff, and it seems like it's the relationship almost seemed one sided, um, but it ended up kind of being okay. That, this scene ends up being a secret flashback, yeah, that shows you actually they really look out for each other, and they they uh, Rick doesn't just use Cliff's kindness; he also he includes him, and yeah. he really does respect and care for him, which may because they're so well played too. It makes for again characters that you you can relate to and you can appreciate and that you think are good people despite their flaws, um, which they do have flaws. It is not confirmed, but suggested strongly that Cliff may have killed his wife. <laughs> I felt kind of awkward laughing at that because the couple next to me was just, they were just so outraged by that. <laughs> I mean, rightfully so. Like, in real life, obviously, that's not... It's horrifying. That's horrifying. We're, we're watching a... L- I think that's why the movie doesn't definitively tell you he did kill him because right. I think they Tarantino does a really good job of making them both endearing characters. I think he knew if he if he showed if he him fire that. that harpoon gun or whatever it was, what yeah, he would have known. There was nothing in if it was a harpoon gun. There was nothing loaded. I think Tarantino would have known that would be a step too far. You wouldn't like the character anymore. Right. It may have been he could have played it comically, but especially in this era, like where we now know that we probably shouldn't you know, treat women so dismissively on screen, even if it's for... Well, that's... Oh, man, I forgot. Even if it's for comedy purposes or whatever, and it's not meant to be an actual attack, it's still the pervasiveness of it can be damaging anyway. And Tarantino does a pretty good job in this movie. um, Yeah. Of not... You know, even one of the reasons why we... Look, this is the 
this is the bare minimum. It's not a reason to like a character, but <laughs> it could have been a scene where Cliff just essentially gets roadhead uh, while he's given a hitchhiker a ride, but right. he needs to establish her age and he refuses to, you know, to partake. Yeah. yeah. And again, that's not a reason to like a character. That's the bare minimum that every man should behave right, like. Right, 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 right. But it is but a, it's step, still, it's a step it's forward still good from, to see. It's a step forward from 20 years ago in a movie where right. he would have been like, yeah, fuck yeah. That scene where with his wife, I feel like we should describe it just because it is pretty pretty hilarious. So they're <laughs> on a boat. I don't know, a mid-sized boat. The wife is suntanning. She, I think she's drunk because she's holding like a, mm. a, what is it, a Bloody Mary. And he emerges from the back and uh, he's carrying a beer. And the whole, as soon as he comes out, his wife starts berating him. And she's like, She's what? complaining while he's getting his beer. One, you, yeah. you, you see him just just getting a drink and stuff and you just hear her voice in the back. Just harping away, right? And, and she's like, what? You're too tired to get into a fight? I'm like, what? What a terrible... <laughs> anyway, so what he does is like he, he takes a seat over to the side of the boat. He puts on a scuba... The, the goggles. <laughs> he just places it on. And he's got and, a gun of some fashion. Yeah. Like, not a traditional gun. Some Yeah, it, it looked like a harpoon gun, but there was nothing loaded. Yeah, there was there, nothing yeah. on it. I don't know what it would be. Um, and he's just kind of staring off into the abyss as she's yelling at him and berating him. <laughs> But the gun is trained on her. and Not really. It's just kind of he, in his lap. It's in his lap. But from where she's standing on one edge, of, one edge of the yeah. screen and where the gun is pointed at, it's yeah. pointed at her. And, and I think that's, that's yeah. where they alluded to him right. killing her, which that's never really completely revealed. But yeah, but yeah uh, let's, let's go back to the heart of the, the matter with this movie. So we've, we've already touched upon this, which is the first two hours seemed like one cohesive movie. Oh, sorry. Yeah, yeah. Did you want to say something? No, I was just going to go into that. Sorry. Oh, okay. Um, yeah, yeah. Because I was actually, I'd actually started that point. And then we yeah, you did. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> sorry. I just wanted to jump back. So. No, that's fine. Um, yeah, we, you get a, you get essentially a, a pretty endearing buddy, buddy. Ho- old Hollywood story that's interspersed with real life people, but also those real life people aren't really relevant to any of the plot that's happening. They're just Which not. Is this, this is Sharon Tate and Roman Polanski and all of their friends, their friend right. group, all these Hollywood people who they never interact with our main characters. Nothing they do affects our main characters. They are neighbors to our main characters. They are completely now, isolated from one another. This is something that Tarantino does a lot, and usually we see those plot By the lines end, converge. It, right. And they really don't, and it's not that they don't at all, but they don't in a way that means anything. They don't. Yeah. They don't affect each other other than... They don't affect each other in the world of the plot. They affect each other in the fact that if you know the real world story that that Sharon Tate and her friends are the ones who should be murdered, right. then you know that they do, that, that there are two main characters stop that from happening by accidentally becoming the new targets. Right. But nothing the movie shows you tells you anything that they would be targeted of the murders. There's, there's nothing in the movie. And the way movies should work and books should work and plays should work is all the information that you get in any story needs to be given to you in the story. That's not to say that like you can't assume people don't people know that Hollywood is a place where movies made. You can you can assume that. You can assume that people know what McDonald's is. You can assume that people know that Nazis were bad. You can't assume well, for one, it's dangerous to assume someone knows a very specific part of history. And yes, most people probably do know that Sharon Tate was murdered by, you know, followers yeah. of Charles. Johnson. I mean, that's pretty much the whole but, audience in anticipation of that. But that doesn't help me build the knowledge that that I should be afraid for them in this movie, other than the fact I'm bringing that myself. Um, the movie never makes the followers of Charles Manson. They, it does make them in, sort of creepy, 
a couple times, but it doesn't make, they're not established as like a villain of the story. No, Mainly because yeah. the story is not about them or Escher and Tate. The movie's about Cliff Rick and, and Cliff. Yeah. And none of that shit has anything to do with them. Mm-hmm. And so for that to be the climax, suddenly our climax is this big blow up, like this murder, this retargeting of a murder, right. doesn't make any sense for the story. And we are actually robbed of an actual climax of their story because our two main characters actually have this moment, which in any other movie of this type would be the darkest moment, which is their friendship might be at an end or at least a drifting apart. But that is skipped over in a voiceover and then suddenly it's the murder scene. Well, they, yeah, okay, so there was a voiceover, but there was also a talk at that bar with the door that kept randomly opening. That's, but it was, again, I know that that's, it was not, very, that's not really the voiceover, but it's crammed in the middle of that voiceover sequence. It is, sequence. Yeah. yeah. No, I know, I know. And But it was very, it was downplayed was what it mm-hmm. was. And for that whole, the whole scene, because yeah, I mean, as I said, it's pretty much Tarantino with his fantasy fulfillment. He wanted it to go a certain way. And this is how I was like, oh man, if I could write a story, I would have it this way. That's my impression because, yeah, you're right. Usually in story expectations, they do culminate and they do kind of interweave into each other, which is what he usually does, right? Because he does this thing where in a scene he'll meander and it seems like the, the chatter is pointless, right? Or whatever event is happening is pointless. And then it somehow hits you right in the face, mm-hmm. like a can of dog food, and <laughs> rough, <laughs> rough. <Is> that... <laughs> uh, yeah, uh, Cliff chucks a can of dog food at one of the attackers, and is brutal. And it, oh my <laughs> god, crushes her nose. Far more brutal than uh, is that what would really happen? <laughs> if you threw it hard enough, yeah, probably yeah, it's yeah. a it's, it's a solid. But it like metal it not only object. that, like I can understand it, like a breaking bone, but it also like cut up her face. Yeah, if it hit the edge of it, sure. Yeah. So um, anyway. But Tarantino yeah. does this himself. What I, when I was kind of referencing that, like we don't, we don't have enough information within the movie about the fo- the followers of Manson. Is the to understand he, that the alternate he did this in Inglorious Bastards and Django Unchained. He made an alternate end for Hitler in Inglorious Bastards. And yes, we all know that Hitler's bad, and he probably could have done that anyway. But also, he had Nazi characters, namely he had an Academy Award winning performance by Christoph Waltz mm-hmm. as a Nazi who is an imposing threat to all of our primary characters through the entire movie. He is an There's insurmountable a, villain. A centralized, yeah. And he shows right? his evil. He shows in just that opening sequence out in the French farmhouse. He shows how cold and heartless he is. Same goes for Django Unchained. The villain in that film is played by Leonardo DiCaprio also. And he's a monster. We see he's a monster. He's he is a slave owner. Not only that, but he is... I mean, slave owners, you can call them cruel in general, but he's especially, especially, like, nasty. He's, uh, he's seeing it as sport. He's pitting people right. together for his own enjoyment. So we don't need to just rely on a historical knowledge. The movie brings us into these threats in a way that this movie should have also done. Right. I don't know if Hateful Eight really technically does that because at the time, it's a lot of, there's a lot of mystery going on about how things are going to unfold. You get a lot of different angles from how these characters are. Uh, it, it's a huge recontextualizing the, the movie. It's just mm-hmm. like you see it from one angle and then again from another angle mm-hmm. from a different character's perspective. Um, and there's a lot of that. So, yeah, there is technically a main antagonist. But, again, that doesn't really develop. But then, okay, what about... You don't necessarily need to have a single main antagonist in the form of a human, but you have to have... Uh, stakes that are set up and and you have to know what the threats are so that you can fear them so that you can have this tension and like marcellus wallace starts to do that here 
there's a great scene where Cliff goes to the ranch where Charles Manson and, you know, his little cult are set up. And that's actually does start building quite a bit of tension as you start to see, like, shit's not right. And you you get to live it through Cliff's eyes where he can feel stuff's not right. And he used to know someone who, the owner of this ranch. Yeah, who owned the ranch. And so there's this long, drawn out, but in a good way drawn out, where... You're not sure what exactly is going to happen because everything is, is very gonna, suspicious, right? right? Everyone's behave, behaving very strangely. It's but like, then that's the only time he really does it, and then that's that's for a two-hour and forty-minute movie. That's ten minutes in the center, yeah. and you easily takes forever to get there, and you easily forget that it happened by the end. The ending scene was really, really out of left field. But yeah, the way we imagined how it would have culminated was that either I I I know how I would change it. Mm-hmm. But I'll I'll first say what we were kind of expecting was that it happened that they're at Sharon Tate's house. Like the events kind of unfolded like they did. But, but then some our fictional characters just would somehow be intervened. Yeah. yeah, they would somehow intervene. Because at that time, Cliff was going on a walk with his dog. Mm-hmm. I think the dog's name is Randy. Rick Rick is uh He's just in the pool. He's just hanging yeah. out. Which yeah. okay, so throughout the movie they keep doing these shots where they move from one house to the other. It like it's almost alluding to the fact that they're within earshot mm-hmm. because she was playing uh, a record and uh, Cliff was on the roof and he heard it, mm-hmm. right? So that indicates that they're within earshot. They're also close enough, and also every time there's an overview shot, it moves from one house to another. Like yeah. they repeat the same type of shots, almost to indicate that this is going to somehow play a part. Important. Yes, exactly. But then. They fall through on that. And I'm going to get to the one point that I, I always feel that annoys the crap out of me is when expectations are subverted unnecessarily. And I'm totally going to go off on that on another. I'm going to I'm going to do that in an article. Okay. But it kills me. And this is, again, it's like dropping the ball because what we expected was that somehow they would intervene. They would be involved somehow. Rick Dalton was in the pool and he hears the screams. Maybe Cliff on his walk, he sees the car and is very additionally suspicious. Or, I don't know, he's he's tripping at that point. So, mm-hmm. and somehow stumbles into it. But then again, I feel like, again, this is almost cliche because it's like now our main characters are heroes in the very but, cliche kind of way. No, I, I agree with that. That that wouldn't necessarily be a perfect solution to the movie. But what it does fix, though, is that by excluding Sharon Tate and her friends as participating in any way, shape, or form as targets by, for these people... Everything we've watched them do in this movie is now irrelevant. They are not a relevant part of this movie. Right. At the very, very, very end, after all the bad stuff happens, it sparks the first time that Rick has had a conversation with his neighbor. And that does sort of fulfill some fantasy for Rick, but it's completely accidental. It's not because of anything Rick did. It's not... And also, you don't... You wouldn't need all of those scenes. It's just... It trivializes having them as such large participants in the rest of the movie. I we talked about Margot Robbie did a great job in the movie and the character's fine and all the scenes she shot in are fine but they bear absolutely zero relevance to the whole plot because the murders don't even take place at her house. Yes, that's how the murderers got to that's how they picked Rick as a target I guess is because they happened to be on the street and Rick intervened. Yeah. But, not, but removing that as the motivation for them wouldn't have mattered because the murders weren't particularly... They didn't have particularly strong motivation to begin with in reality. So On top of that... So having them just as just as unmotivated to go at Rick would be no different than them being unmotivated to go at Sharon Tate. Right. And on top, on top of that, when they actually broke into the house, nobody recognized Cliff. 
That even was, though he had directly interacted with all of them. And he had created quite a memorable problem exactly. for them. Exactly, and no one recalled it. Yeah. It I weird. mean, he beat up the one guy. Oh, man, the the old couple that was next to me, when he was beating up the one guy, when he punched him and it lifted him off the ground, <laughs> they were just like, ugh, just like groaning. <laughs> I mean, yeah, I mean, it was pretty brutal. And they just happened to be more audible about their right. reaction. but And that wasn't the guy who was at the house, though. That no, 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 it yeah, wasn't. No. no, it was Tex. He was but the guy Tex did have course. a conversation yeah, with Cliff before exactly. he went on Already the hike. suspected. Yeah. Yeah, and all the, all the women who were gathered around watching and horrified by the fact that he punched, the, punched out the dude and made him change the tire, yeah. they would definitely remember Cliff's face. That is weird. I mean, that didn't bother me that much, but it is a weird oversight for, especially for Tarantino. He's pretty detail-oriented. He knows. Like the way story structures should be, mm-hmm. so for him to do this, there must be some sort of you know some sort of and he mode. There has to be something like it's almost like an extra layer because he's he's operating on the idea that everyone knows about the whole Sharon Tate mm-hmm. incident incident. Which even then, I'm massacre. fine. I'm fine with. Uh, I know I was a little unclear before. I'm fine that he's operating under the idea yeah. that people know that. I'm just but not I just don't think that it. excuses the fact that you don't build those characters better or more integral right. to the plot rather that's where i'm saying that's where we're we're both saying this mm-hmm. where it would have somehow you know kind of like wrapped around each other they were already neighbors they had already alluded to it but nothing came about it tarantino is pretty well known for not following basic story structure the way that like a textbook mm-hmm. tells you to write a screenplay right. But you know that he understands it because the ways that he changes it still work okay. and you yeah. can usually only do that if you understand, you can you can only break the rules when you know when you what know they're the, there for. So again, so in this case, subverting so, expectations is fine. Right. Sorry. I just but wanted, in but in but in this movie specifically, I just feel like he didn't do it in a way that worked as well for me because the climax of this movie shouldn't be this violent encounter. I am fine with the violent encounter, by the way. It is very entertaining. <laughs> it's just that the climax of the movie needed to be about these two friends, and it we don't have that. They're actually not even together in the climax of the movie. No. How it rolls is that uh, Rick Dalton cannot afford to keep um, Cliff around, uh, which I'm is very strange. As, yeah. Just yeah, because uh, then it's the end of the road. He can't he can't help him anymore. And that was and they were supposed to go out for one last hurrah for a drink, and and then it led to that night. But yeah, again, it was just all kind of breezed right over so they have this very that that conversation i mean you know that that conversation is disappointing to cliff but it never that's never explored the conflict there is never explored then therefore they do they do have a reconciliation in the fact that like when cliff's being taken off in the ambulance you know rick kind of says you know you're a good friend and touches the glass you know and it's very it's kind of nice imprint but the problem is they didn't have anything to reconcile over they did but, but we didn't. We just kind of breezed. Yeah, we yeah, just breezed past we all didn't, of that stuff. We yeah. didn't get the full gravity of the we whole got, situation. We got so many intricate details about them and their life, both separately and together as friends. And then once we were supposed to get to the climax of the movie, we just didn't care about any details anymore at all. We just right. we we jumped into this other story right. that's not really related to it. Again, Tarantino just playing out that fantasy, mm-hmm. just making sure you know. I feel like the most iconic part between. Uh, Rick and Cliff was in the op- not it wasn't the opening it was right after they came out of the bar and Rick is vulnerable feeling like a has been mm-hmm. just the way Cliff is like <laughs> oh you're crying and he just hands him over his, his, uh, his sunglasses, sunglasses so people can't see right, that he's like, crying yeah and I don't know it just it just seems like in a way for that time trying to keep their 
help him keep his dignity, but also supporting him. Mm-hmm. I mean, I would love to have Cliff as a friend. He's such a great guy. <laughs> what a great guy. Fantastic. Cliff is a stand-up person. Stand-up guy, apart from killing his wife. That's Maybe, allegedly, allegedly. possibly. <laughs> rumors. Not even allegedly. It doesn't seem like right. he was ever charged with a crime. It's just rumors. Right. Which is why I think the doesn't even lean they to... They keep that ambiguous. It has that scene, so you can certainly surmise that he could have. Right. But the movie doesn't lean heavily on, like, oh, he was tried and stuff like that, because uh-huh. it, it definitely does not want to answer that question for you. It wants to leave that either for you to decide, or you maybe you just decide probably what Rick decided, which is, I'm judging the person in front of me right now, and I don't want to know, like I, because yeah. this is clearly a good person. I don't know. You yeah. could have some. You could probably have a moral quandary of like, does does it change the fact that he's a good person or not? <laughs> if if every act since then has been him being this great guy. Well, what is it? They knew each other for eight years apparently, and in that time, did did he know? I don't know. It so doesn't. Yeah, they, I, I assumed it happened that. before they were friends. But Rick obviously knew about the rumor because right. the only time it's ever brought up really is when Kurt Russell brings it up mm-hmm. and. It's clearly not new information for Rick. Right. Which it was nice to see Kurt Russell and, uh, what is it, Zoe Bell be in the same scene together and also talking about stunts. It's like a throwback to uh, Death Proof. It's a nice little Easter egg within the yeah. movie. So, but yeah, I mean, they spend all this time developing or revealing and exploring this, their relation. Not that, kind of. Because they kind of go off on their own paths. They right? have their own little journeys. Right. Um, it's, not like, it's not like they're... It's a buddy movie in that you know that their friendship is important to who they are, but they're actually not together all like a, a ton. A like ton, they yeah. you but that's also a testament to Tarantino's skill and the actor's skill is that they're together that you know that their lives are intertwined in a very important way, but Cliff goes on his adventure and DiCaprio or uh, Rick goes on his adventure right. and they have their own they're also independent humans just like when we leave this recording I will have my own life, and you will have your own life. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, I'll just be right across the street with a telescope, um, seeing what you do on your on your time off. But yeah, so they 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 afford all of this time, but then they fast forward with the voiceover. Six months. Six months, and then it's and, more and, exposition. And the voiceover is a bunch of information that's not important for you to have the final scene. Yeah, it's it adds a wife who will only be in one more scene because, and she wasn't in any of the rest of the movie. It adds the fact that he did four movies, which isn't really important for us to know to have the final scene. It helps us rush over the fact that their friendship is going to be less, they're going to be less involved in each other's life. I mean, you'd presume they'd still be friends. They just won't, they won't see each other all the time. It even goes into like specific details about the movies he shot and where he was and what he did during that. During and that it's like, time. None of those, none of that fucking matters. Again, none of that is important. Subverting expectations. You're wasting 15 minutes of my life going over this stuff that you could literally go from the scene before that to the final scene and no one would know you cut anything out. Right. Not at all, other than the fact that the wife exists. Right. You could have integrated that into the movie in some other way. Or you could have just, if you're going to do a crappy voiceover, which is kind of a, a lazy way to tell a story, you could say, he has a wife now. You, just, you could literally do the six months later thing, and he, then uh, the voiceover could be like, you know, he did four movies and he got married, and then cut to the scene where he has a talk with Cliff, and then now, instead of 15 minutes of voiceover and montage and movie scenes, you spent 30 seconds and you got us to the final scene with the same exact amount of important information. It makes me wonder, if was this, I don't know if this was technically, if this was a technique for the old days of TV. Oh, um, sure. You know, it's like but... where they just kind of like easily summarize a certain point. 
It definitely was, but maybe it's a callback to that just to be like that's oh, fine it's still is... it's still it's still poorly done in this i know movie. i know i'm just saying hey it's not like tarantino is by far i don't not have any conventional i don't so. have any issue with the way he showed us other scenes from the, from the things that rick was in or the way he framed things that were homages to styles past i have a problem when you completely redirect your entire film two hours in and include and then, unnecessary detail. Well, not like okay. So there was a the part where they walked into the restaurant, and the narrator all of a sudden is talking about how Sharon Tate feels during that particular night that made her feel more pregnant. As if okay, again to it's enhance to get you the, to think that yeah, they are going to come and kill her. Yeah, exactly. Again, he's operating on the idea that everyone is familiar is knows about this point in history but for people who do not it kind of comes out of left field yeah i think he's you know you do the thing where you treat your audience with a level of intelligence right yeah you know like you're not spoon feeding yeah there's nothing wrong with that there's nothing wrong with that at all i didn't have a problem with that watching that like that part when we got to the night i didn't have a problem with the narrator because the narrator was still a big shift tonally that just i would rather do without but I didn't mind the focus on Sharon Tate and her friends at that moment. It's it's more that the way it plays out in retrospect. Now I know that I sat for two hours and 40 minutes, which is a very long movie. It's longer than the first two Lord of the Rings films. Watch The Hateful Eight. And it was for no reason, because it's not relevant to the plot in any way. It's not so much that it doesn't bother me as much that, yeah, he was pulling a fast one. You knew he was going to change the historical account. It's what he does anytime he does something historical. But to change in a way that makes... The history, compl- the historical parts of it, completely irrelevant is is a waste of my time. No, no, I I'm on the same page as that. It's it's an easy fix. You just make you just make them you just make the two groups of characters interact slightly more during the climax. That's all have you have to do. Yeah. You don't have to be faithful to history. You don't have to drastically change the plot. You just just in the moment when everything is coming to a head, have make sure the other half of the cast is relevant in some way. In some way. <laughs> to the Which, plot we're watching. Well, not, see, not to history, but to the plot we're watching. And that's usually how Tarantino operates. He usually has, like, they're all in isolated situations, but they do, in some way, their their roads cross, right? Mm-hmm. Like, let's take Pulp Fiction, uh, yeah, obviously, right? It's a perfect example they all, that, yeah. they all have their own storylines, but at some point, they all do kind of cross paths. Mm-hmm. Um and they affect each other's stories, right. which I was anticipating for this, because the way that he kept setting it up, it was gonna. Mm. It seemed like that was gonna be the natural progression. I think that you can give me a movie that's structured like this, that has that sort of subversion at the end, but then I need less earlier on. Get me there faster, so that I'm, so that I don't feel as focused on all of these details I watched that weren't really necessary. You know, you mentioned Burn After Reading. Um, you can give me this batshit crazy ending if you have a much faster-paced, brisker film like Burn After Reading is. But this is a this is a longer drama, which in most cases is quite good while watching. The story just doesn't doesn't come together in a way that it needed me to watch two hours and forty minutes of it. Right. So right. you could trim down a lot of stuff. You could, which I know would be hard for Tarantino to do because of who he is, but like. That scene when Rick is shooting that pilot to that television show, we see practically the entire first episode of that fucking show, and we don't need to. We need to see his acting journey. We need to see that he feels rusty, mm-hmm. that he feels nervous, that he doesn't know where his career is going, we got that. that he overcomes yeah. that, and that he, he finds his talent again and his confidence again. 
But you don't. It doesn't take forty minutes for you to show no. me that. There was. It, <laughs> you can show me that in ten or twenty. Adding on to that, like the whole, like I like Timothy Oliphant, but that scene before they where they were not shooting, and he came over to just have a couple of words, and there were some awkward jump cuts. I it was supposed to show like a passage of time kind of a thing, like mm-hmm. they had been shooting the shit for a little bit, but it really. I mean, if you were listening, it the didn't conversation seem, doesn't it, seem to make a. It doesn't make a drastic change, right? right? It's just like move from one point to another. And it was very awkward. That shows him in a role that he did not get. That's right, yeah. It shows him in The Great Escape, I believe, Mm -hmm. and it shows him replacing. It's like they literally went in and doctored the the video. Um, For like uh, when they did... um, Which is funny. When they first show it, it's funny. Um, But then they they keep going back to it and showing more and more of this movie that is a role the character didn't get. Get, Which, again, they do it the first time because it's a joke, and it's a funny joke. Yeah. But by the time you see it multiple times, it's not funny anymore. Yeah. And it's just an extension of an already extended sequence in the movie. Yeah, so that's, yeah, so adding on to what you were just saying, I think if you were to chop the fat off, that would be cut. They already beat that in when he met Al Pacino and talking about like this other actor getting yeah. these roles and how the process is, right? If you're the villain of this one new person's show, then you are now a has been. And then that led to him and his revelation is like, oh no, I'm. I'm now becoming irrelevant. DiCaprio's, uh, this is relating thematically to that because he talks to the little girl he's acting with when he's telling her the story about the book and he starts to cry. (laughs) And then she asks, what does she ask him? Oh, that sounds terrible or something yeah. like that. He's like, you'll be living <laughs> I'm it. Pretty in much. 15 years. <laughs> you'll be living it in 15 years. I'm practically in tears. And she wasn't, but. (laughs) That was really good. Um, yeah. That girl. Very that talented. Too, yeah. Very strong. I don't but, like to be called names like pumpkin puss. <laughs> but we'll talk about that later. I'm very upset. Um, all, all I would say is like, uh, what I'm saying is I would forgive the weird shift that the movie makes towards its end if I got there faster. But because you spent so much time establishing, establishing these characters so well and creating all these great scenes, it felt like it needed to go somewhere relating to that. Yeah. Because you can skip through a pretty breezy story and have this batshit ending, and I'd be like, all right, that was fun, and it was well made. But instead, you built something up, and then you just stopped showing us that movie. You yeah. just shifted. Okay, well, now it's now it's true crime story with, <laughs> with a twist. Right. See, now, I was okay with the journey, because I... But it's not something that I would take again. I was okay with the journey because I anticipated Tarantino wrapping it up nicely as he usually does if i were to watch the movie again i would kind of be a little more restless because it's like yeah because you know uh, yeah most of my most of my criticism comes in retrospect to the film i mean yeah there were some times when i was wondering where it was going but i wasn't disliking the movie because again like you said you kind of anticipate it yeah being becoming something because you know the skill behind it and so it's more when you're done and you're like no I didn't need all of that. Okay, uh, how about before we get to change, I just remembered something in Tarantino's love of feet. Yeah, um, it's definitely there. It, there was it's almost a lo- more in your face more, than it is in previous films. There's the one shot where it is absolutely in your face is when she puts it, pushes it up against the windshield mm. while talking to Brad Pitt. But then there are other scenes where, again, feet are dangling out uh, when they're on the bark lounger. Sh- uh, Sharon Tate does it Sharon in the movie theater, too. Yeah, Sharon, yeah exactly. And that's in the foreground while she's sit reclining. In, mm. Yeah, exactly. It's a thing. Yeah, there's a yeah, there's a there's a lot of that. He usually restricts it to a scene or two though, and he's 
peppers it in a little more. And he's peppered in a lot more <laughs> in this one. Um, and everyone's bare feet on the on the ranch. Which that's everyone. probably just believable yeah. though. Yeah. For their characters. Such dirty feet. Um, I've got a pretty tight change for you. Okay. It's, it's still playing off the same concept of okay. trying to get these stories together in a way. Right. So you know how uh, Rick's main thing is, like he mentions that Roman Polanski lives next door mm-hmm. and kind of has that sort of daydream, like, oh, you know, this is why it's so important to live in Hollywood because... You know, he's my neighbor. At yeah. any time, like yes. I could make these, yes. you know, I could make these friends, and it, I could be starring in a Roman Polanski movie. And the at very end of the movie, after all the murder stuff happens, like the neighbors are like, "Hey, what happened?" You know, and then it suggests that that friendship sparks. But because that's after all of the actions done, it seems kind of like it's just an accident. It's not like nothing any of the characters did. But what if they went into because they both went, both groups of characters went out to Mexican restaurants that night. What if they went to the same restaurant? They met there. Cliff and Rick oh, get drunk. Go. They get invited over. Everyone has fun. Then that friendship starts to form. You realize how important this is for Rick because Rick is kind of semi-retiring is why he does he can't afford uh, Cliff anymore. Right. What if he starts to have that hope? Well, now I've done this thing that I've been wanting to do. I've made these friends, and maybe I'll be in these movies again. And then, therefore, Cliff can stay on. And then they go back to the house, and all of that's put into jeopardy. Because she's about to get murdered. Yes. And then they have to stop the murder. There we go. Taking it one scene before. Yeah. If they had met at the Because it puts the, the Mexican stakes, restaurant. It puts what's at risk right in your face. Already there. When the attack happens. Yeah. There we go. Oh, yeah. Because I was, I was like, I had a, I didn't have that idea. But I did have an idea to where they met prior to mm. that. And I forgot how. So I just kind of threw whatever I could think of. No. The Mexican restaurant idea. That's great. Because at that point, they're already together. And then they just kind of go up. Hey, you live there. I'm your neighbor. It ties the it ties that climactic scene. It can be just as violent and crazy and fun, but it's more fitting. But it is tied to not just like Cliff's physical survival, but Rick's internal struggle as well. Because this is his, this has been his dream for a couple of years ever since his show ended. Yeah, was to make this kind of relationship again. And now, if they're all murdered, the relationship he made tonight won't matter. Oh, wow, okay. I mean, I was just also going to say, just because, you know, people being murdered. No, it'd be but... It'd nice that people not... <laughs> obviously, obviously, that's how everyone right, right, feel right. about it, but I'm just... But Adding you, that you extra tie, layer. You tie events into thematic elements yeah. with the characters, and, like, the, yeah, yeah. you made this Rick struggle the whole time. <laughs> right. I'm not saying that would be the forefront thing on your mind. I'm saying as a structure... That would make him a, such a shitty person. As a, I'm not saying that's why the character would do I know, it. I know. I'm I saying know. as watching a story that's structured a certain way... You would understand he had a he for for once in a couple of years he's had a good break and now he's having the worst luck ever. It goes it's such an immediate turn. Right. You've seen him struggle this whole movie. Suddenly he gets this gift in his lap and now they're all going to be murdered. Right. Not he needs to save them because it's his opportunity, but he's also at risk of being murdered. He's, yeah, they're yeah, they're yeah. in this, they, this in this case they all go back to Roman Polanski's house, including yeah. Cliff and Rick. Mm-hmm. Yeah. and so they're all no no yeah I got that I got that. It's like you have the luckiest day of your life and the most unluckiest night of your life which ties in everything we've known and learned about these characters it ties in their friendship it ties in his professional struggle it ties into Sharon Tate and just ties in more at least than what the movie gave us that she's there and she's relevant to the history of this and again it would be very Tarantino fashion because it would be a throwback because he mentioned that line about living right next to him and having the opportunity you live here yeah, that would be great. I I'm on board. I'm on board with that. So it seems like we are in agreement. Uh, any particularly favorite scenes? Uh, my favorite scene, and it ends. I'm it's probably more, gonna say it's the more same of a sequence, thing. but it's it's 
it's when they it's when they go to the ranch. Damn it! It's yeah. when Cliff goes to the ranch. That that whole thing. It has more efficient storytelling than any other part of the film, and it's beautifully shot and beautifully acted. Of course, it's where I felt the most tension in the movie personally. Because yeah. when he walks in, like there's that mouse that's trapped in the yeah, mouse yeah. trap and like it's, struggling to get out. Like everything is rotting around them, mm-hmm. and she's she's got like a flop sweat, and she's just yeah. kind of reclining. I don't know, it's just like there's a lot of she's got this. It's obviously built to make right. You are supposed to feel uncomfortable and disgusted. Yeah, yeah. but yeah, she's like that's why I was surprised that that was Dakota Fanning. I was mm-hmm. like, oh my god, like that's an example of what I meant by like the even the side and background characters are like still like the cast is deep um, right. because she's really only in that scene. Yeah, um, yeah, but everything is like every every performance was it was just really well done you have this there's so many things running through your head like is he alive is this a trick is this a trick? right yeah right and so yeah as you're going through it yeah no i absolutely love that scene and i just love his demeanor because you could tell he suspected something and he was just kind of playing it cool but he has a calm he, head yeah like but he's he's certain that he's, something's not right yeah exactly yeah. on top of that he's absolutely confident like mm. like i felt like his confidence was you know it's like usually when a character is overconfident something is going to happen to them yeah, and he, so I think we've mentioned our final thoughts, yeah? Yeah. Tighten it up, have the the main characters actually interact with each other. It's, um... There's not really any protagonist. The protagonist probably should be Cliff, but it's Rick. If yeah. You, like you mentioned before, no one's really driving the action. It's It's them just kind of dealing with their lives, but... The major conflict that is most present in the film is Rick's. So we would say that Rick is yeah. probably the protagonist. He's but... the center of everything. He's neighbors to Sharon Tate. He's friends with Cliff. But Cliff is probably the more active character, though. Yeah. And you would probably rearrange the movie to more focus on him and make Rick... A... You Don't get rid of any of his character. Just pare him down a little bit, and you'd probably have a tighter movie, too, if you just decided that Cliff was the main character. Yeah. But I mean, I would just say it's 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 a lot of really incredible filmmaking and skill, um, incredible acting, incredible cinematography, incredible editing, incredible you know, just writing in within scenes. However, there's something wrong with the the bones, the skeleton of the story. Something structurally wrong. Right. I think that's about it for us. Right. Yep. Uh, let us know what you think in the comments. We'd like to hear if we've missed anything or if maybe we've misinterpreted something. Uh, be good to hear from you guys. So that wraps it up for us today. Uh, thank you all for tuning in to today's episode. Look forward to us next time on our website, characterarc.net. You can also find us on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you may listen to podcasts. Good one. Good one. Thank you.